Our speaker for today is Renil Prasad, uh, BC's electoral reform referendum. This fall, British Columbians are being asked whether to keep the first-past-the-post method of electing MLAs or switching to one of three forms of proportional representation. Renil Prasad, Outreach Coordinator with Fair Vote Canada, will help us understand the reasons for the referendum and how it works and what different options are on the ballot. And by the way, his talk's about 45 minutes. We'll do the question and comments after, and that's when we'll get to ask the questions. So please welcome Renil to our meeting today. Thank you, Renil. Thank you. So uh, coming October 22nd, it's going to be a referendum to amend how we vote in BC. Uh, for the longest time, we've used a system called First Past the Post, which is the way we've elected people in most Commonwealth countries for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. So we're looking to update our electoral system to a proportional voting system. Uh, so proportional voting, essentially, what the core belief behind it is, whether or not do you support one way of doing it, another way of doing it, or uh, Z way of doing it. The core value is that if a party gets 30% of the vote, they should get 30% of the seats. Uh, there's some caveats in there that we'll discuss after, but the core, the core belief is that if we vote for a party, they should be represented accurately in our legislature. Uh, so uh, the comp system legislature affects, uh, accurately reflects voter preferences. So the, the first possible system has been used in uh, mostly Commonwealth countries across the world. Uh, the way we do it in BC, we have a parliamentary system. Uh, so we've based it off the English model, but there are other countries that use similar uh, systems as well. Uh, in the United States, for example, a lot of it is first past the post. Uh, the problem with our current election system is that half our votes don't affect the outcome. So if you're uh, a liberal voting on Vancouver Island, if you're a new Democrat up north, if you're a green voting almost everywhere, uh, your vote does not affect the outcome. So when you go up to vote, you vote for someone, all, all good, you know, you cast in your ballot, but it's not electing anyone. You're essentially the quote unquote losers in our uh, electoral system. So that's why we got the nice little trash can here for all the, uh, all the green voters and whatnot. Uh, so in BC, in the last election, around 51% of people elected an MLA, and around 49% of people didn't have the opportunity to elect anyone. Uh, so uh, uh, so the, these are the number of wasted votes in the province. These are all the people who didn't vote for anyone. And to put this into perspective, oh, sorry about you guys on the far left there. <laughs> Uh, so to put this in perspective, these are the number of votes that it took to elect an MLA in BC. So if you're voting for one of the two major parties in the province, uh, it's essentially very statistically similar if you want to elect a new Democrat or want to elect a BC Liberal. If you're trying to elect a Green, good luck. Uh, unless you live on the island or live in Nelson maybe or live in New West, you're going to have a very, very tough time <coughs> electing someone who you uh, feel comfortable with their uh, party preferences. Uh, another problem first past the post is strategic voting. So if we go to this example here, uh, this riding here is the riding of Vancouver Langara. The winner in this election was Michael Lee. He got around 47.5% of the vote. Let's say the next election cycle, you're very disappointed in the job that Michael Lee has been doing for the people here in Vancouver Langara. You want to get rid of Michael Lee. What is the best way to get rid of him? Which party would you support? You wouldn't vote for Surinder. He doesn't have a chance to get rid of Michael Lee. Uh, what people argue, uh, people who support uh, the first-past-post system, is that, you know what, you can go in, just vote with your conscience, vote for who you want to vote for, but there's a definite spoiler effect that happens under first-past-the-post. First-past-the-post is fantastic for a two-party electoral system because one of those will automatically get a majority. So what people will tell you, well, what the New Democrats will tell you, is, hey, if you want to get rid of Michael Lee, 
you should vote for James Wang. He has 38% of the vote. If all these Greens voted for uh, the new Democrats, then James Wang would be elected and Michael Lee would uh, be kicked out. Um, this is not the way to run an electoral system in a 21st century democracy. Uh, people should be able to vote who they want to vote for without uh, creating a two-party system or creating a spoiler effect that uh, sometimes will go against their best interest. So we think of the election that uh, elected Bill Clinton. There were three candidates running. It was Bill Clinton, George H.W. Bush, and Ross Perot. And people thought, you know, Ross Perot's the greatest thing since sliced bread, a businessman who can save us and be the president. Uh, doesn't work out like that. <laughs> uh, Ross Perot took votes away from the Republicans. Uh, it's the same deal uh, uh, with uh, Gary Johnson and Jane, uh, not Jane Stirk, that's the Green Party leader here. Um, Joel Stein, there we go. Uh, so it creates an inevitable two-party system, uh, which is not a way that reflects our electoral preferences very well. Uh, another big problem, uh, probably my, uh, my biggest pet peeve with the first-past-post system, is that it gives political parties extra power. So parties often, this is uh, using a federal example, Justin Trudeau and Stephen Harper, when they were both elected, they had 39% of the vote uh, Canada-wide. And because you can win ridings with 39, 40% of the votes, it happens everywhere, it happened, you, you, Michael Lee won with 47%, and that's a, a better result than usual. But parties can win 39% of the vote. And because of the way our electoral system works, you win one seat, and you get all the power from that one seat. It's first past the post. Uh, you're the first past the post, and you win everything. Winner take all. You win 54% of the seats, which means you have 100% of the power. So we're giving parties right now, we're giving them a majority of the power without them having a majority of the mandate from the people to govern as if they had a majority. So our, our election system right now creates disproportionate results. And uh, the way to solve that, if you think that's a problem that needs to be solved, is, uh, is a proportional voting system. So this is a, a BC example of uh, the, the false majorities that come out of uh, our current election system. In 2013, Adrian Dix said, uh, I, could, uh, I could kick, it was the front cover of the province, it said, I could kick a dog and I could still be the premier of BC. Uh, turns out he kicked the bucket instead because he was not the premier. Uh, but you see here, Christy Clark got 41% of the vote, which translated to a majority of the seats, which gave her all of the power in BC. Um, that's not a great way to run an electoral system, and it gets even more dramatic. 1996, Glenn Clark versus Gordon Campbell. You see here, Gordon Campbell, nice smiling mugshot face, uh, got around 42% of the vote and around 44% of the seats. It's pretty proportional. But when we go to look at Glenn Clark's results, around 40% of the vote with 52% of the seats. So in theory, Gordon Campbell should have been elected premier in 1996. He got more votes, but because of the strategic campaign that Glenn Clark ran, uh, Gordon Campbell got less seats, so he was a definite winner in the 1996 election, but did not win the majority of the seats. So almost every government we've elected in BC have been false majorities. There's only been one instance in BC history uh, where um, a party has gotten more than 50% of the vote has been the governing power, a governing party. And that was in 2001 when the NDP imploded. Uh, the Liberals won 57% of the vote and they won 97% of the seats in BC. So there were only two liberal MLAs and there were 80-something liberal MLAs. They weren't uh, allowed to be the official opposition. They were defunded. It's not, uh, it's, uh, frankly, it's, it's a bad way to run a government because if we don't have a funded opposition party or an opposition at all, really, with two MLAs, 
what's the point if it's just uh, if it's just um, a uh, what's uh, everyone's preaching to the choir in the BC legislature? The next problem is pendulum swings in policy. So this uh, graphic here is based off of. Uh, uh, the sort of transition between Stephen Harper and Justin Trudeau. But what happens under first-past-to-post systems is that you get a party that's governed for 10 years, then you give a, a massive flip-flop, and they burn everything down, and they start again. And then everything's burned, and you start over again. So this is, sort of, this is uh, the 2015 example. So Stephen Harper canceled the long-form census. Trudeau bought, brought back the long-form census. Uh, Stephen Harper canceled this, Trudeau brought back that. So there's a lot of pendulum swings in policy. We go back and forth, back and forth. And there, there's people have sort of uh, little sayings about it, like liberal Tory, same old story. Uh, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of ways people talk about these flip-flops. But uh, uh, this is very expensive for us to deal with, you know, bringing, hiring these scientists and then laying them off. And, you know, we do, we do the dance back and forth. Uh, another problem is exacerbated regional differences. A uh, great example of this was uh, when Chrétien got his minority. You had the Reform Party that took advantage of the hyper-regionalization of the first-past-the-post system. So the Reform Party took all these seats in the West. The Bloc took all these seats in Quebec. Uh, the Liberals won their seats uh, uh, elsewhere. The NDP uh, got their 30-whatever seats they usually get. So first-past-the-post exacerbates regional differences. If you notice here, uh, the liberals here are in blue. The main schism in the province we have right now is uh, between rural communities and urban communities. It's not like uh, in Europe where it's uh, linguistic or ethnic. It's rural-urban, I would argue, is the most, most salient schism in the province. And there's no way that this map is accurate in showing the, the differences. Uh, like, there's no way that everyone uh, on this right half of the province all voted for the BC liberals. This is not accurate at all. Uh, voter dissatisfaction is also a big thing. Like I said, liberal, Tory, same old story. We essentially have a two-party system that exists at the federal level, and we have a two-party system that exists at the provincial level, although the Greens are sort of getting up there with their third-party status. But uh, people are not satisfied with our electoral system as it sits right now. Um, I, I'm lucky enough to live in one of the few swing ridings in the province, but I lived for a couple of years in Abbotsford, and my parents are Green voters. There's no way that they're going to elect anyone in Abbotsford uh, voting for the Greens over and over again. There's no way for those liberals on the island, uh, there's no way they're going to elect anyone unless there's a massive spoiler effect. Um, people get dissatisfied voting for the status quo when instead they, they think, you know, I really want to vote for this smaller party, but there's no way they're going to get in. There's no way. So, you know what, I'll just sit at home. And, you know, all of us will say rightfully, you know, go out and vote, cast your ballot. If you don't like any party, just draw draw something on the ballot and hand it in. Spoil, spoil your ballot if you're not satisfied with the system. But that's just not how it's done. We see voter turnout dropping year after year after year until there's some sort of magnificent electoral candidate who comes out. And, but that's just not uh, how our election system is going at the moment. Uh, people are getting more dischanted, more dissatisfied. And at the same time, uh, politicians are getting more partisan because of the two-party system that's coming out and the lack of cooperation. Options are just ahead. There's ways to fix this. Uh, so there are the vast majority of the sort of Western democracies, if I can use that word, uh, use uh, systems that are not first past the post. So we see all these nice countries. You know, if you, if you want to be on a list, you don't want to be on a list with, if, you, if you're on some sort of like country ranking list, you want to be on a list with these sort of countries. <laughs> <laughs>
You know, so the countries like Ireland, Denmark, Sweden, Norway, uh, little parts of Australia, uh, they all use uh, proportional voting systems. So it's not some radical new um, a way of, of running elections. It's, in, in fact, it's used a lot in the world. Uh, the countries that use first-past-the-post of, of the sort of Western democracies, democracies, if I can use that word again, uh, the countries that still use it are Canada, who use it at almost every level of government. I think Guelph is the one exception where they use ranked voting. London? Sorry, London, Ontario. They're, they're all the same to me, being from BC, but... Uh... <laughs> oh, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Uh, and in the United States, there are some uh, cities that um, use a uh, proportional voting system. I think San Francisco uses, is looking at a proportional voting system. And uh, in the UK, they also use a first-past-post voting system. But they use proportional voting when they elect their, uh, their mayors. And they use proportional voting when uh, they allocate their European Parliament seats. So Canada is pretty much the, the dinosaurs that are left over when it comes to uh, still using first-past-the-post voting. So another benefit of using first past the post or using a proportional voting system is that almost every vote will count. So when you will go into a ballot box, you are certain if you're voting for, or you can be fairly certain. I'm not making any guarantees here, but you can be fairly certain that if you tick off, if you're living in, uh, if you're living up north or living in the Okanagan and you're voting for a new Democrat, you can be almost certain that there's going to be a new Democrat you can go to and will um, is accountable to you. So these numbers are ever so slightly different because of the different thresholds, which we'll get to in a little bit. Uh, but if you notice in BC, as I said before, only 51% of us helped elect someone, and that's what causes the voter dissatisfaction. That's what causes the this rise of the two-party system. Uh, we'd end the false majority system. So parties would have to work together. And once you work together and get more than 50% of the vote, you're deserving of a majority mandate. Uh, that's what happens. It's happening right now in BC. Uh, the NDP and the Greens have a confidence and supply agreement. NDP had 40% of the vote. The Greens had around 17% of the vote. Put those two numbers together, that's 57% of the vote province-wide. So in a sense, this is one of the most, uh, it's not perfectly reflective, but it's one of the most reflective governments in BC history. Um, and we'll have, we'll, I'm not saying we'll end the policy, um, this is about the policy lurch, the pendulum swings in policy. Not, we won't necessarily end the, the uh, policy lurch in, in uh, BC, but it's a great way for us to build uh, policy that uh, parties can agree upon uh, beforehand and that won't be uh, set on fire and flip-flop every few years. And we'll also see more cooperation in the legislature because parties will have to cooperate in order to govern. Um, and first pass, uh, this is a sort of a, someone, if, eventually is going to bring up the example of Italy, and I'm very prepared to answer a question about how Italy's uh, election system doesn't work. <laughs> I guess I'm planting that seed now. <laughs> but uh, proportional representation countries use, uh, they have a very similar amount of elections as PR countries. Uh, so first past post, 16.7 elections, and PR around 16. Um, so we have the same number of elections. Sometimes the uh, coalitions can switch. Uh, in PR systems, uh, which is why you'll see sometimes there's a few more governments in certain countries. And as I said before, of OECD countries, probably a better measure than the Western democracy measure I was using before, 85% of OECD countries use PR uh, to make every vote count, whether it's at the municipal level, uh, the state or territorial or provincial level, or the federal level. We also see more diversity in politics. Uh, so in, uh, in New Zealand, there's this group that's, uh, that goes around and says, you know, you have this second ballot, or, or um, open list, 
Australia, sorry. <laughs> so in Australia, they have an open list system. And there are groups going around saying, you know, uh, we want more women elected in Australia. So when you get your ballot, make sure to uh, have your top up MLAs or top up uh, MPs. Uh, make sure to have, make sure to put down women on your on your uh, second ballot option. Make sure to put in more indigenous people. Uh, look for people who have uh, who are people of color. Elect them because there's more options to pick from, and people are less uh, dissatisfied with the current system. You'll see higher voter turnout because people are less dissatisfied. New Zealand saw a 12% increase in youth voter turnout, which I found especially interesting. Uh, for a while, New Zealand was uh, somewhat deadlocked. Uh, um, and uh, it's every time you see youth come out to vote, uh, as someone who's barely 20, I'm uh, very excited to see that. <laughs> and you also see more voter, voter satisfaction. Uh, this I've talked about ad nauseum, so we'll skip that over. The thing about PR is that it has been studied to death over and over and over and over again for the past 40 years. Started with the Manitoba Law Reform Commission. They had a sort of PR light version that they were recommending. But it's been recommended by legislative committees and the citizens' assemblies and everywhere across uh, the country. Um, uh, most recently, this was the uh, Federal Electoral Reform Committee that was uh, uh, recommended PR. So the referendum is actually happening. It's a thing that's going to happen, uh, whether <laughs> the ICBA likes it or not. But uh, it's going to be a mail-in ballot. These things have kind of low voter turnout, which is a bit disappointing. Uh, if you notice, this is also two days after the municipal election. So there might be some electoral fatigue, hopefully not, uh, hopefully people don't throw their ballots out in the mail. But the ballot uh, will come out on October 22nd. That's when Elections BC is going to drop them all in the mail. And hopefully about 90% of ballots will, be, uh, will reach people's houses by the 25th. And from there, you'll have around four to five weeks, depending on when you get your ballot, to mail it back. Uh, official campaign period has started. That's why I'm here. Uh, and the result is legally binding on the government. Uh, there's going to be an all-party committee afterwards that will work out some details. But uh, the results of whether or not we accept PR or keep first past the post uh, is legally binding on the government. So this referendum isn't just a, a straw poll that you'd use at an AGM. It's a real thing that is binding on the government, which means you should care about the referendum. So the referendum is going to be two questions. Uh, the first question is which system should BC use for provincial elections? So you have a choice. You can either pick uh, the current first-past-post voting system, if you feel that way, or you can pick uh, a proportional voting system. So this, I think, is the most important question. Even if you aren't as familiar with the three electoral systems that are on offer, you can always pick. Uh, you know, I'm not, like some people, my sister, for example, she's not uh, very into the minutia, so she's going to probably, I put money on it, but she's going to vote for PR, but she's not going to vote in the second question, uh, which you're allowed to do. I, I, in fact, I would hope that every single voter votes for uh, both sides of the ballot, but uh, that may not be the case. Uh, so there's three electoral systems that are on offer in BC. Uh, two of them are made in BC options for the BC context, and those are the dual member system and rural urban proportional, which is very similar to STV. And we have mixed member proportional also on offer, and that's uh, uh, sort of tried and tested option. It's used in Europe and in the South Pacific. Um, so we're going to go over these. Uh, some of these require a little bit of math. Uh, don't be afraid of the math if you can add, subtract, and divide. You don't even, don't even need to multiply. Just divide. <laughs> and then you'll be fine. Uh, so all PR systems in BC, they will be proportional to how people actually voted. Uh, mathematically, sometimes it won't work out perfectly. Sometimes you have a party that gets 13% of the vote, but gets 14% of the seats. We're not too worried about that. 
Uh, all top-up MLAs, which we'll go into very soon, they'll all be allocated regionally. So instead of having just some random MLA, they'll represent you at uh, not necessarily the Vancouver Langara level, but the Vancouver at large level in a similar way that city councillors uh, operate in Vancouver or any other municipality. Uh, all electoral systems will have a 5% threshold to elect top-up MLAs. This is uh, a way to keep out radical sort of fringe parties in BC. So 5% threshold means if a party doesn't get 5% of the vote, they won't be allocated any of those extra uh, seats uh, in the legislature. And uh, for those of you who are from rural communities, uh, rural ridings are not allowed to grow more than 15% unless they receive an additional uh, MLA or additional representation. And no region will lose representation. Uh, likely, like the argument is that you know, if we have a proportional system, all of the um, power will go down to Vancouver or go down to Victoria. It's not necessarily that's not the case. Uh, it's just that the composition of those MLAs will change, not the amount of MLAs. So this is mixed member proportional. This is the system that has been uh, used in Europe and in the South Pacific. Uh, every district elects a local MLA. So if in Vancouver, Langara, you can vote for who will represent you at the constituency level. And parties also have a list of candidates in each region of the province. So this is where the uh, regional top-ups come in. So parties will say, you know, these five people will be the top-ups you can pick from in Vancouver. Uh, perhaps we'll look at the ballot first. Uh, so this is pretty, so this top part of the ballot, this riding vote, this is, this is pretty familiar to all of you who have voted before. You just put an X next to which uh, person you'd like to represent you at the local level. So you can vote for Michael Lee, Janet Fraser, whoever would represent you at the local level. And the second part is a party vote. Uh, this shows an open list system. We can go into closed list system after. But you pick uh, which uh, regional member, so the, the at-large Vancouver MLA, will you'd like to represent you at, uh, uh, at the Vancouver level. So you can pick from a number of candidates. And in this open list system, you can keep that top-up MLA accountable just like you would uh, in uh, the first vote. So if you don't like what candidate A is doing, next time around you can vote for candidate B or candidate C or candidate D. Um, closed list is slightly different. Uh, if you want to ask me about that later, you can definitely can. Um, did I get everything? Yeah, so essentially the idea, the, uh, the way that this creates proportional results is that the first riding vote here will inevitably create disproportionate results. It just, it just will, unless there's some sort of mathematical miracle that goes on in the province. So this, this first one here is a mathematical anomaly. Uh, if it, creates, it, it won't create proportional results. The idea is that these, this party vote here, the people that are elected off of this vote here, will balance out the disproportionality of the first vote. So we add the extra MLAs uh, to make uh, the result proportional. I'm going to proceed onwards to the next system. This one requires a little bit of math. If you can divide by two, you're good. <laughs> and you can tell which numbers are larger. Uh, so dual member proportional. It's, Pretty simple at a non-mathematical level. So you take two ridings, so Vancouver Langara and um, I'm not really sure what's near here, uh, Vancouver Kingsway. You smack them together to create a dual riding, and you elect two people. The first one is elected uh, is uh, elected first past the post style, and the second one is allocated proportionally. Though it does it, so it sounds very similar to the to uh, mixed member. What I said about dual member is that you take. I said about. Dual member, <laughs> sounds real weird for the podcast, doing that noise. Um, but dual member, you take two ridings, smack them together. First one's allocated via riding. Second one is allocated proportionally. But it does it slightly differently. So this is what your ballot will look like under a dual member system. It looks very, very similar to what uh, the ballot looks like right now. There's only one check to click off. And somehow, uh, not miraculously, um, uh, based on math, uh, 
the results will be proportional. Uh, so it's about one, it's one check mark. It's very simple, uh, which is the main advantage of dual member rather than picking from these candidates who you may not know about. And all these candidates are running in your riding. So this could be the Vancouver Langara ballot, for example. So this is how this works. Uh, this woman here with the nice little orange flag has voted for the dual NDP ticket on this ballot in this uh, riding. And it looks like that looks like the province of Alberta. Uh, she's going to have a rough time with the NDP there. But uh, she's voted for the NDP in this uh, hypothetical federal election under the dual member system. So you see there's two candidates on the ballot. The first one's called the primary candidate, and this is the secondary candidate, or the preferred candidate and the secondary candidate. It's the actual uh, allocation. So this is how the vote turns out. Uh, it's Alberta. Conservatives win, because of course they do. Uh, so Kelly McCauley gets elected. Kelly McCauley is, represents, is the first member elected in this dual member district. So there's still a second seat to allocate for these people. So you see what happened here. If we sort of switch back and forth, uh, this, these uh, secondary candidates are knocked off the ballot. They're the secondary candidate. Sorry, you're knocked off the ballot. And you see this number here, Kelly McCauley and Michael Cooper's number, the conservatives. Because it's dual member proportional, uh, an assumption is made that Kelly McCauley won half the vote and Michael Cooper won half the vote. So what happens is that this vote number here is divided by two. So it becomes around uh, 26,000 votes. So we still have to allocate a second, uh, a second seat for this hypothetical riding in Edmonton. So we elected the first one just like we always do. First past the post, plurality wins. You get more votes than the next guy, you win. <clears throat> so to allocate the rest, to allocate the second seat, who's to see who is going to join Mr. Uh, Kelly McCauley here, <clears throat> we have to uh, knock a few more people off the ballot. So if you don't get 5% of the vote in, in this riding, you're, got, you're knocked off the ballot. And independents automatically win if they get first or second in the riding. So this is a system in which independents have a little more uh, representation. So we have three candidates here who uh, could be the next uh, member of parliament for this uh, hypothetical riding in Alberta. We have Karen Leibovici with the Liberals, Darlene Maliaco with the NDP, and Michael Cooper from the Conservatives. So to allocate this second seat, what we need to do is we need to look at how these people in Alberta voted. So the Conservatives, uh, this is the number of seats that these parties are deserving of. So the Conservatives in this, uh, in this election in Alberta, they're deserving of 21 seats. The Liberals are deserving of eight. The NDP is deserving of four. And the Greens are deserving of one seat in Alberta. A miracle. Uh, so the Conservatives on the first ballot, uh, the first ballot, they won this seat here. So this number here is the number of seats they've already won. So the Conservatives have already won 16 seats. The Liberals haven't won any. The NDP has won one seat, and the Greens have uh, not won any seats. So these are the seats that are left to allocate, because this is how Albertans voted. This is how, the rep this is how um, um, it should be. So to allocate these, no, uh, there's no slide there. Uh, to allocate these seats, what we do is we go uh, to the people who had the highest vote totals. So if Karen Leibovici was the best liberal loser, I don't like using winners and losers in our electoral system. But if she was the biggest liberal loser, then she would be allocated a seat because there's very strong liberal support in that riding. Uh, so she would be the, the MP that represents, uh, uh, it's assumed that the people who voted in that riding would want a liberal because they voted so highly for one. Uh, so uh, the main benefit of DMP is that all these people are elected very, very locally. So they all run in an existing riding. There's no top-ups required, none of this other stuff. When you go into a booth, it's very, very simple. Instead of voting for one person, you're voting for two. Uh, and there's just one check mark required. Uh, the math is a little bit tough. 
Uh, I guess it's not very tough once you break it down, but people are afraid of, of math, which I don't think is a great argument against PR. <laughs> um, so uh, DMP is, is very, very local. Your representative will very, very likely uh, run in your riding. Uh, will very likely live in or near your riding, uh, which is a benefit that people like because people like having their MLA be very local and being very attached to their, very attached to their uh, community. Uh, so we'll continue onwards. A lot of clicking to rural urban proportional. So rural uh, rural urban proportional used as a mixed member in uh, in rural ridings. And urban, ride, urban areas have multiple MLA ridings. Uh, so it's very similar to STV. Uh, I think we're going to a little, just reading it out, it's a bit complex. We're going to go for some visuals. So in urban areas, which is what you have to be more, most, uh, most familiar with, just living in an urban area here uh, in, the, in around Vancouver, uh, we use ranked ballots in urban areas. So it's very simple. You rank one, two, three, four, five, or whoever you want to rank. Uh, rural urban's great to elect independent candidates. You can put an independent first and then put your party as a sort of backup. But let's uh, look here. This is uh, an election of the animal kingdom. <laughs> so the thing about the, um, in urban ridings, what they do is they take multiple districts, smush them together, and elect uh, multiple MLAs. So in this riding here, they're going to be electing three MLAs. And so for three MLAs to be elected, you need to reach the winning threshold of 33%. 100% divided by three MLAs means that each MLA needs to receive 33% of the vote. So that's sort of how ranked ballots work. This poor little Tarsier here only got 5% of the vote. Uh, and this monkey here got 33% of the vote on the first ballot. So they're the first one elected. They've got the nice little golden ribbon there. Happy monkey. <laughs> so the poor Tarsier, sorry, knocked off the ballot and their votes were redistributed to the gorilla. Usually the distribution is not that clean because people's preferences are very different, but uh, it's very possible. So the gorilla gets elected. And this, uh, this I think that's a lynx. Uh, I haven't taken biology in a long time. Uh, their votes are allocated to the tiger and they get the nice, I guess they don't get a ribbon. Uh, <laughs> so this is how, this, the, this is how the, uh, the ranked ballots work in uh, urban areas. Uh, it's very, very, very similar to the BC STV system. But the main argument against STV that was given, why people voted against it and why people didn't like it, was that it would uh, massively increase the size of rural ridings. And even though, even if a rural riding gets three, uh, three ML, if, if you plop together three rural ridings and give them three MLAs, it's very possible all those MLAs will be from the same community. So uh, the people aren't uh, served as well. Um, so what happens in rural ridings is they use the mixed member system up there. So under a mixed member system, they have, go all the way back. Under a mixed member system, this is what rural ridings would use. They would, use, they would elect their regular representative and they'd have their party vote afterwards. So in that way, they can preserve the size of the rural ridings that, uh, that are in BC. As I said before, the main schism in BC isn't ethnic, it isn't racial, it isn't linguistic. It's rural, urban. You can see that from the, the election results that I showed you before. So this is an example of an urban riding here in BC. So for example, it's very, very easy for an MLA or in, in Vancouver to throw four ridings together because a lot of them are very, very small, especially downtown. The West End is very small. Falls Creek is very small. So it's very easy to put those together and it's very easy to, for an MLA to serve everyone in their community. So what you do here is that you'd rank four candidates. You can rank as many as you want. If you want to just put one candidate down, you definitely can. But the ranked ballot gives you a lot of choice when it comes to showing your preferences rather than your party affiliation. 
So you can have a preference for certain candidates under each of the parties. So you can say, you know, in party A, I really like candidate B, and, uh, and I like candidate A because they're, that's my party, but candidate C, really don't like. So you can go to another party, or you can rank your independent first. So you can rank an independent first and have your party vote as a, as a quote unquote backup. Uh, under a rural urban proportional, under this, in urban ridings, uh, getting independents elected is probably the, easy, it's probably the easiest system to get independents elected under. Uh, the other two systems, uh, independents, have the same fate as they do now. And in a rural riding, they, as I showed before, they elect via mixed member proportional. So they elect, the can they elect their local riding representative. And the disproportionality of the first vote is counteracted by the regional vote here. Uh, so it's the advantages of rural urban PR. More, can more independent candidates have the chance to be elected. Uh, voters can show their preferences rather than their party affiliation with a ranked ballot. And less top-up writings are required. So less of these people are required. When people talk about PR, they're kind of afraid of these top-up MLAs, but because the urban ridings are already proportional with this ranked ballot. Very few of these people are required. Uh, so that's a, a sort of benefit of uh, rural urban proportional. And I think that's all we have to talk about today. <laughs> that's three systems on offer.